So one of the first things we suggest for business owners that are starting to launch and grow mm. is at a minimum, start paying yourself a salary that's equal to what you'd have to pay somebody else to do the job that you're doing. Mm. Because the first starter is to make sure the business is viable. If you had a CEO of the company and what you'd need to pay them is $120,000 a year and you can't pay yourself that, that becomes your first check that the business needs to grow and produce more cash flow. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we focus on helping startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, Paul Adams, and it's an expert episode today, so all the more exciting. Paul's going to talk a little bit about what finances. And so hopefully it's, you know, finances are one I know is a lot of times as a business owner, not something you want to deal with or talk about or think about any more than you have to, because it's not building the business. It's not getting the sales, but it's certainly one where if you don't pay attention to it, or you don't uh, think about it, a lot of times you're going to have missed opportunities about where, you know, some things we may talk about, or where do you put your money? Do you put it in a 401? Do you not put it in a 401? How do you get the return on investment for your business, whether it's, you know, the business or the office? or the employees and how do you, uh, you know, evaluate your business on an annual basis and how for most of them, you know, most uh, people is, do you need a financial advisor? Is it worthwhile? Do they offer value? Balance sheets, all those things that you sometimes may not want to think about, but definitely need, need to know about. And will hopefully make it a little bit more interesting than the common, common or finance questions. So with that, welcome onto the podcast, Paul. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So why don't you just, before we dive into all the fun ins and outs of finance, give people just a minute or two kind of why, you know, why you know what you're talking about, why you're the expert, what's your background, and just a short introduction for people. Well, I've had my own business, uh, you know, running and helping people run their finances, almost like, uh, like an easy way to think about it would be a household financial officer, similar mm. to the COO you have in your business or CFO in your business. That person's job is to let you know the consequences of different actions. And as the CEO or the president of your organization, you make all those calls. Mm. Well, it really kind of began on a more of a national level, our influence when I was interviewed by like Forbes and Inc and Entrepreneur Magazine, all on this idea that as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, you will never have your financial independence on the business balance sheet. It just has mm. to be on your personal balance sheet at some point. Because every day, every one of us will one day not own our business. And so mm -hmm. when we don't, by whatever means that happens, do we and our families maintain our financial security? And too often, despite that being the reason most business owners started their business, that end game is too often ignored. And I think it's in large part something we'll get into today. I'm sure the mm -hmm. financial services industry fault is industry's fault for business owners thinking that the financial advisors aren't helpful in that process. And I think they're right most of the time. Hmm. So now diving into just a little bit, and you talk a little bit, and we chatted just before the podcast, um, you know, kind of uh, the personal balance sheet versus uh, the business balance sheet. And give us an idea, because, you know, a lot of where you get into it, the business is your own, 
to, I think everybody, to your point, gets into a, or starts their own business, gets it, you know, as a founder, co-founder, does a startup or small business because one, they don't like, they don't like somebody else being the boss. And so that's oftentimes one of the big motivators, but two is also that they, you know, there's a, and I think there's a lot of truth to it is you can, you can create more wealth as, as a business owner than you can as just being an employee. There's usually a cap. There's only so much, you know, you can continue to get bonuses. You can continue to get a, a salary increase, but you're not, you know, no matter how how hard you work, you're not going to have that ownership in the business. And so for some people, they don't want it. But for some people are saying, that's what I want to do. And so you're looking to build it. But as you're building it, you kind of get into this trap of, hey, I, you know, I won't take it in salary increase, or I won't invest in or to pull money out of the company, because I want to grow it, I want to invest and in, I want to make it bigger. And so you're kind of always caught in that, you know, the gerbil wheel, so to speak, of you're always running, trying to reinvest, trying to make it bigger. And yet you never think about the personal finance side. So kind of give us an idea is, you know, should be should you be foregoing salary? Should you pull all the money out of the business? Should you be reinvesting or kind of how do you look at that? And when you're looking at personal wealth as well as business wealth? Well, it, let's just take an easy example of why maybe kind of the underlying question is, do you have to build your personal balance sheet or can your business sale eventually just handle it? Hmm. And the answer is pretty easy. Think of buying as you're listening today, think of buying a business just like yours. Hmm. Now, odds are if you're some if you were going to buy a comp competitor's business just like yours, same revenue, similar ownership structure, and you're going to step in and buy it, you're probably buying a job in part because most business owners still run the business, mm. but you're not going to be willing to pay 20 times what that business owner is making mm. to be able to buy their business. But we realize that if you have a big pile of capital and you want that to produce the income you want, you can only take about 4% off a year. Now, it doesn't matter if you're invested in real estate or you're invested in, that could be multifamily, single family, commercial, or if you're invested in a traditional kind of stock market and bond portfolio, if you take out more than 4%, you really accelerate the, like this drawdown of your capital anytime there's a negative year in the market. Mm. And that's the same if you don't have renters in the house or whatever. So that means that if you're making $400,000 a year as a business owner right now, that's going to take 10 million of capital at work somewhere on your personal balance sheet to mimic what you're making from the business. Mm. But if you go sell that business, if it's a smaller business, you're going to get maybe two and a half times what's called seller's discretionary earnings. Mm. Or if it's like a more stand-up business, it's you got over a couple million of revenue a year, you're going to be closer to like four to six times EBITDA. Mm. Here's the thing, getting four to six times your income is not going to be enough for you to then be able to retire. And if you talk to any business brokers on the show, mm. ask them why most of their deals fall out. And it's because it's the first time the owner who's selling has actually paused long enough to reflect to say, I've got enough money or I don't. And they really need to make a sale of the business to have their retirement work out. Mm. So now back to your personal balance sheet, you're still taking income out of the business. And so all we suggest for business owners is not to say, don't pull money out or do or don't pull money out of the business. Start by just setting aside for long-term wealth building on your personal balance sheet as close to 20% of your gross earnings as possible. Mm. So if you're taking $400,000 a year out, be putting $80,000 to work per year somewhere on your personal balance sheet. Now, so one of the first things some business owners might need to do is give themselves a raise to make that happen. So that's part one. Part two is 
keeping in mind that the personal balance sheet is the reason most of you started your business. Mm. You started it so that you'd have independence and financial freedom. Mm. But even if the business goes somewhat on autopilot, you've had several businesses you've grown and sold. Mm -hmm. And, but we've all seen that business owner that got down to like two days a week, kind of living the life of Riley, just doing the board meetings once a month. Mm -hmm. And then something happens. Key employee leaves, big competitor moves in, major governmental regulation change. And suddenly that owner is back in working full-time in the business because their financial independence still depended on the business. So now let me ask one question. And I, and I, I'm, I think there's a lot of wisdom too. Let's, you know, let's look at the personal balance sheet. Cause I think that there is, everybody wants to retire at some point. Everybody wants to take that step back from the business. You know, you know, the joke always is, is, you know, the best thing about being an entrepreneur or a, a, the owner of a business is you get to choose the 80 hours of work a week yeah. that you work. in the sense that, you know, most people think, Oh, I'm going to start my own business. It's going to be an easy, no, it takes a lot of time and effort. And so you, you know, it is, there should be that reward at the end of the, the, the tunnel, so to speak. But the, I think where you get into is okay. You no, know, 20% of the bit, you know, of your income saying that aside, gets to be difficult, especially if you're starting the business or it's, you know, let's say it's only minimally profitable or partially profitable, or you're taking a, a reduced salary for a period of time. Could you get into that? And sometimes, you know, you get into the cycle where you've been working the business for 10 years is still barely, you know, not even turning a profit, barely turning a profit. You're really taking half salary. And so how do you even get to the point of taking out that 20% when you can't even your business is barely staying afloat and especially you know if you're to take covid right now how do you know in, in downturn in economy ups and downs and whether or not it's covid there's always going to be the ups and downs how do you get to the spot to where you can actually take the money out of the business when a lot of times you're just figuring out how to keep the business afloat is that how do you how do you balance that well, so it's twofold. In nearly every instance where somebody's really pressing in and maybe taking money they could take out and roll back in the business, mm. they're still taking a personal income. So one of the first things we suggest for business owners that are starting to launch and grow mm. is at a minimum, start paying yourself a salary that's equal to what you'd have to pay somebody else to do the job that you're doing. Mm. Because the first starter is to make sure the business is viable. If you had a CEO of the company and what you'd need to pay them is $120,000 a year and you can't pay yourself that, mm -hmm. that becomes your first check that the business needs to grow and produce more cash flow. We talk about in our recent book, which uh, you know is really great. Devin had worked out, we're going to give away 10 copies of our book to mm -hmm. your listeners as they reach out. And you can just email info at SFG stands for sound financial group way.com SFG way.com. Hmm. And if you email info at SFG way.com with your mailing address, we'll get you one of those books. If you're one of the first 10, but that person that's taking the income right now is setting a budget as a household. Hmm. And I think what happens too often is we get tranquilized as entrepreneurs with the value of the business on our balance sheet. Mm -hmm. Whereas like for you, you may have been in a position at one point in the past where you looked at the value of the business that was on your balance sheet, but then that business sold for a different number. Sure. One of the easiest ways to stop that, that tranquilizing that occurs to us. And when I say tranquilizing, I do mean like a slow morphine drip that has business owners not be as present to their personal finances because right on their balance sheet is this large number. I think my business is worth, say, $3 million. 
And then that has you re, like relax because like, well, I've got $3 million in the bank growing and mm. you may not. It may be worth that or maybe it won't be worth that when you have to sell it at some point because sometimes we sell as a result of our choice, sometimes as a result of somebody else's choice. Mm. But in, in that book, one of the things we talk about is the siren's song of more. And we go back to the, the Odyssey, Odysseus's journey of going past the island with the sirens. Mm. And the siren song of more that impacts a ton of business owners is that we think it's how many locations we have, how much square footage, our gross sales, that those are the things we talk about very casually with other business owners. What we don't talk about enough is how profitable is the business. Mm. So I would say anybody that's in a position today who's listening to the show who perhaps is not taking that surplus level of money out of their business yet, Mm. is if you're not doing it now, we're still early here in 2021, set a budget for revenue, set a budget for expenses and all their different categories. And if somebody needs a template for that, we have one. We'd be happy to share it with you on Google Sheets. Mm. It's very simple. And then every month you put in, how close were you on the revenue? How close were you on the expenses? Just being in that exercise, taking an hour out of the owner's week every week to either do it with your bookkeeper a partner, your spouse, to just really look at what costs went out, what revenue came in and what went well and what didn't go well. Mm. Because so often we're sort of waiting around to the end of the year to see how profitable we were instead of knowing that path throughout the year. Now, much like an airplane flying from one airport to another, it's off course 99.9% .9 of the time, but it's always arriving. And the reason it's always arriving is they're constantly checking their current position against where they want to go. But if we don't have at a minimum that monthly review with the owner to just sit by themselves to say, here's what we expected in revenue and here's what actually happened. Here's what we were expecting expenses. Here's what actually happened. If we don't have that procedure in place, that business practice, it's unlikely we're ever going to be able to take a surplus amount of money out of the business because we won't know where our investments are paying off and where they're not. So now let me, and it's probably a little bit of insight, but let me still follow up with that question. Some businesses, they take a period of time before you're going to be profitable or before you're going to reach the full potential, right? In the sense mm -hmm. that it may take a, a bit of time to find uh, who your market is, how you sell it, you know, load the pipeline, get enough reoccurring revenue, any of those, you know, they, it oftentimes doesn't happen on day one. Very sure. seldom do I think it happens on day one. And so is there a period of time within which you should be setting the goal such that, hey, if we don't reach profitability after three years, five years, 10 years, whatever that is, or I'm not able to pay myself that you should pull the ripcord because kind of a lot of times where you get stuck is, hey, the business, I, you know, this is going to be our year type of a thing. We're finally going to yes. make it and we're finally going to make, you know, breakthrough. We're going to have a, a stellar year and we're going to be able to, you know, all make that return that we've always been waiting on. And you're always waiting for that next year because, you, you know, it, there's a sense of optimism in order to be an entrepreneur. You have to be optimistic. You have to probably be a bit senile in order to do it. Because if everybody that, if you were to really sit down and think of all the things that could go wrong, all the reasons why not to do it, you would, everybody would talk themselves out before you ever get started. So optimism aside, how do you decide, okay, at some point, if the business isn't profitable, maybe I should go and do something else, start a new business, try something else out. But how do you make that ripcord? Because, you know, sometimes even before you're able to give that money, 
or you know put that on your personal balance sheet you never reach it because you're always waiting for that next good year so any thoughts on how you kind of decide when to pull that ripcord or when it doesn't make sense to keep chasing the dream i i would go so far as saying there may be people listening who've been in that year after year setting good intentions at the beginning of the year getting to the end of the year finding out it wasn't as profitable as it needed to be Mm. i would say two years where you're actually doing that monthly financial review because it's rare that I've seen. Now, there are things that somebody's in the events business and then COVID happens. That Mm. kind of thing can wipe a business out immediately. But most businesses are on that verge constantly in large extent because maybe they chose a market that wasn't a great idea. Mm. Like, you know, they're just really important to them. A friend of my friend's parents own like a deli and they just opened it 40 years ago. They're going to keep running that, despite the fact they probably make $40,000 a year. I have a cousin who's a rancher, and that is just a hard business, and it's super hard to make any money in, let alone a decent living. Mm. Those are projects of passion or projects of legacy are never going to be as profitable as we might want them to be. Mm. But too often, people are winging it each year, getting to year end, finding out it wasn't as profitable. So I'd say if in two years of starting that business and you can't pay yourself a wage from your own business that you would be able to earn working for somebody else, then I would go so far as to say you may not you may not be building something that's going to be worth anything to anybody else either. Because if you can't pay yourself what you'd have to pay somebody to run that company, plus earn your K-1 distributions on top of it. That's the profit we take out of the company for those that are early. If you can't do those two things, then you're probably better off working 40 hours a week, getting some vacation pay, et cetera, going and working for somebody else or retooling that business. Well, I I would add in there one thing I... The only pushback I give is sometimes you're saying, hey, I'm not making as much, but I just love what I do, right? And there's value in that too, right? In the sense that sometimes Absolutely. you're saying, you know, let's say me as an attorney, I'm sure if I were to work, go work on East Coast, West Coast, that's where all the attorneys make the most amount. I could get, go make a higher salary probably than running my own business just because they pay exorbitant amount. Now, cost of living is crazy. And so you, maybe you have a wash, but I, you know, if our, if all you did is chase a dollar, you may say, Hey, there's other avenues. So I think you also have to, in that calculation say, yes, I understand that I am taking a lower salary and I may not have as a, a large of a personal balance sheet, but I love this. It's just fun and enjoyable. And I'd rather work this an extra 10 years of my life than I would go work for someone else. And kind of, I think factor that in a bit Absolutely. just saying, it's not just about not saying personal balancing isn't important, but you also have to say, what else am I giving up? If I, you know, am I willing to give up what I'm not going to make on salary wise? You know, I may not retire with 10 million, may retire with 5 million, may not have as as big of a salary, you know, or income as I'd want, but I'll be, I'll love the 30 or 40 years that I work in there. I, I couldn't agree more. Totally in alignment with you there. Mm. Then the shift though, that needs to happen is if, we're running a business like we're the key employee and we're, we're doing it for lifestyle reasons because we want to go backpacking once a month and, mm. you know, regular employer wouldn't allow that. Those kinds of things, absolutely useful and valuable, but then we'd better bring our lifestyle into mm. the appropriate amount of check so that we can still take whatever salary we are taking from our company mm. and being able to set aside money on our personal balance sheet because way too often, People just don't end up with a multiple high enough. If, if you want an amount of income that you're trying to replace, it, it will take 25 times that income in capital work 
regardless mm-hmm. of where you have it parked. One thing we do to help our clients not get tranquilized by that business value or perceived business value mm. is on their balance sheet, we leave the business as only it's cash on hand or zero if they prefer. Mm. And we put the value of the business, the perceived value in the title of that line item. So mm. it doesn't become additive on their balance sheet, keeping their attention on this is the amount of money you have on your balance sheet. The rest of that money is on the business's balance sheet. So we have to be in strategies to get that money moved from the business balance sheet to your balance sheet. And that could be by way of distributions. It could be moving your company to lease from your own building that is not owned by your same corporation. It's owned by you personally or a different investment LLC Mm. so that you're able to pick up rents. And that's another way you can drive money to your personal balance sheet. But the key part is, if it's not on our personal balance sheet, and you notice we don't talk a lot about retirement, mm. we want financial independence because having enough money, like my my family and I are right now on track to be done by the time we're 46, totally mm. financially independent. One of our other partners, Trisha and Jeff, have already crossed that where mm. they don't have to worry about their balance sheet now because they have enough already that could sustain their lifestyle indefinitely into the future. That's the, where we want to get to is just having the personal balance sheet be enough that it can fund our lifestyle. It doesn't mean we're going to stop working or running our business. It just mm. means we now have the option and we don't have to sell for some ridiculous number, put undue pressure on our employees or the business mm. to have the life that we want. So now I'm going no, and I, I think that was a, a great conversation, a lot of great insight. Now, if we were to shift, shift gears just for a bit, just uh, for, for sake of time and, and covering a few other interesting topics, one of the other things we also talked about is, you know, when you're looking at your business, there are a lot of places you can invest in your business, and some of them have a good return and others don't, but it can be everything from employees. It can be office space. It can be personal salary. It can be location, and some of those, you know, I'll argue, a lot of times we get a bigger office because it makes us feel successful and makes us feel good not because it, it provides any value to the business but you know get or make any thoughts on that as far as now when you are looking at the business and what is the return on investment how do you decide where is the good returns on investment where it's beneficial to the company and where it's really just stoking or stroking our own ego or making us feel successful but not really any benefit to the business i think one of the best things to do is in that financial review meeting hmm. is that as the owner you make it your responsibility that you have to make a case that any money you deploy in the business is going to get you at least a three X return. You're going to spend $1,500 on some marketing campaign. Then we want 40. We want to be able to have a case that $4,500 comes back Mm. as a result of that. Now, the reason for the three X, we know everything isn't going to return that, but if we can't make the case, it will return that too many of the decisions we make as business owner end up as zero return. So when it comes to, hey, we're going to have this bigger office space, what's the return going to be? Well, we'll be able to house four more employees. And then, you know, somebody might say who's maybe an operations person in your enterprise or a spouse might just have a different input because we can get very much in the future and already in our mind, we've already moved to the new office as an entrepreneur. And somebody just check and say, well, wait, couldn't we do this with our current space and get those extra four people before we get the new space to see if it's necessary? And it's Mm -hmm. a little bit of that question and check that can do a lot for us as entrepreneurs to say, what's the return on that going to be? Like I used to be somebody that would buy every new piece of technology. One of the first financial advisors in the country to have a smart board. 
Uh, mm -hmm. We were early on touch screens. We were also early doing nothing, but we've been nothing but Zoom meetings since January of 17. Mm -hmm. Because we don't want clients having to drive back and forth. And we also don't want them to have to find a new advisor just because they, you know, cashed out of their current opportunity or career mm. or their business and moved somewhere else. Now they've got more money than ever and have to find someone new. Now we just meet them wherever they are. Mm. That changed a lot about where we quote unquote find a return because we found out we made that change out of necessity because I like spending a lot of time in my RV. My mm. business partner's wife is a, uh, now she's through a residency in Chicago. We knew that the, her job as a pediatric specialist doctor was going to travel them all over the country. And we were defending against that. But we discovered mm. by solving for something practical that there's a lot of overhead that a lot of firms have that they don't need to have. But they sure think they do because that's how everybody's been doing it. So if you challenge yourself to not just say, well, this is what everybody in our industry does. Mm -hmm. They get a high visibility location on a busy street. Maybe that is useful. Mm. But what's the return going to be? What's the cost differential? What's the human capital cost of something like a move? And then be able to do the math and say, can I really make the case for a three? Uh, it's going to cost us $4,000 or more a month to move there. Okay, can I? Can I really see that there's 12,000 more of revenue from mm. that decision? And when you ask that question, you find out very quickly that it, it may not work. Like we're piloting a big program right now that might double the size of our business. But mm. there's a reason why we pilot it because we don't know all the costs involved in it yet. So, no, and, and I like that because I, I think in, in my industry, I think attorneys are notoriously bad. And I'll take office space as an example that I'm not saying you don't know, don't can't have a nice office. You can't have a good setup. But, you know, most of the time it's we got to go be in the high rise. We got to make it so that we're in the biggest building in the in downtown. It's the most expensive and it shows that we're successful. And yet you look in the trends of the industry and it's interesting. Clio is, a, you know, it's, it's for the legal trend, looks at what uh, clients want and, what, and how they value who to pick. And it's hardly ever the office space. And half the time it's the opposite of they look and say, you know, this is such a nice office. They're spending so much money on all the wood fixtures and best conference rooms. That's where all my money is going towards. It's not going towards value of what I'm actually hiring you to do. And so, it, you know, some I think sometimes you look at the return on investment. And to your point, the office space, while it makes you feel successful, while it's a nice place to work in, oftentimes is a it's going backwards and actually costing you more to be in that office space and Instead of you could go find something that's smaller, more manageable, still meet your client needs, especially if you're in Zoom and they're not even coming into your office, then how do you justify having the big downtown high rise office when they're not even coming in? And so I think that that's a great or another great tip. Well, as we wrap up and we're wrapping up towards the end of the podcast, and there's always more rabbit holes, always more things to to chase down than there's ever time to do. You know, people want to reach out more. They want to find out more about your expertise. They want to hire you. They want to pick your brain. They want to be an employee. They want to be an investor. They want to be your next best friend. Any or all of the above, what is the best way to connect up to you, find out more? You know, probably the easiest would actually be LinkedIn. Uh, that's where I happen to be the most connected. You can also find us on Instagram or Twitter at ask Paul Adams. But what I would throw out is if, if anything I've said is somewhat compelling and somebody says, gosh, I'd like to have a conversation. Mm. Our first conversation we have with people is very different in that we just want to understand their values, share a little bit of our values. We don't ask people any invasive financial questions in that meeting at all. 
We just try to do what we call pulling the curtain back on the financial industry and telling some secrets that other advisors either don't want to acknowledge exist in, in our industry or, uh, or they'd rather turn a blind eye to them. As a result, we just kind of roll that out. We want people to be better consumers after hearing our philosophy. Then the only outcome from that is they can ask for an application. If they choose to apply, we normally charge a fee at the beginning of our process and we work with people together so they don't have to worry about any of our household financial officers working for them, but trying to sell a product mm. instead of just giving them the best advice possible, which is why we charge a fee up front and then we leave it up to the client if they want us only as their architect or if they want us to also be the general contractor that helps them build that financial future that they envision. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage everybody to reach out, find out more. Um, I think there's a lot of good expertise, a lot of words of wisdom that have been shared and definitely a lot of things to think about if you're a startup, small business owner and how you're going to set yourself up for the future and, and move things over to your personal balance sheet so that you can, uh, to, you can live the life that you want. Well, thank you again, Paul. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun to have you on. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you uh, are an expert or you have your own journey to tell, feel free to go to inventiveguest.com. Apply to be on the podcast. Always love to share your journeys and your expertise. If you're a listener, also make sure to click subscribe and uh, leave us a review so new people can find out about us. Last but not least, if you ever need help with your patents and trademarks, feel free to go to strategymeeting.com. We're always here to help. Thank you again, Paul. It's been a pleasure and uh, wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. And yours too. Thank you, Devin.